a remote fantastical kingdom far from Europe's chancelleries of power. An ancient castle where secrets are walled up. An unpopular monarch on the eve of his coronation. A ruling class of plotters and would-be usurpers. And a gentleman adventurer on holiday. No, not Ruritania in the 19th century, but the United Kingdom in the 21st. Stein's new book, The Prisoner of Windsor, is a contemporary inversion of Anthony Hope's classic, The Prisoner of Zender. In the original, an English gentleman on vacation is called upon to stand in for his lookalike, the King of Ruritania, at his coronation. Over a century later, a Ruritanian on vacation in London is called upon to return the favour and stand in for an Englishman in an absurd, fantastical kingdom where Brexit never quite happened. Plots are afoot. The Prisoner of Windsor by Mark Stein. Available in hardback and digital editions or for a personally autographed copy, go to steinonline.com. The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now. Welcome along, October 20th, 2023, 10 days from the commencement of my trial at the District of Columbia Superior Court. It's 3pm North American Eastern Time, 4pm in the beautiful Canadian Maritimes, 4.30pm in fabulous Newfoundland and beyond the Americas, 8pm in London, 9pm in Paris, 10pm in Kiev bit up and down there. Uh, but no matter how long you elongate the vowel, the so-called summer offensive has to be accounted a failure. 10.30pm in Tehran. For all you Newfoundlanders who moved to Iran uh, to check out whether the half-hour time zone affects their communications with Hamas and Hezbollah. Uh, midnight 45 in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone. 3 a.m. in Singapore and Honkers, 6 a.m. in Sydney and Melbourne, 8 a.m. in Auckland, and an even more convivial hour for the Kippers and Kedgeri in His Majesty's Dominions across the Pacific. Great to be back with you in the Western Hemisphere. Fifth years ago today, October 20th, 1973, Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II opened the Sydney Opera House, one of the uh, great architectural adornments of the modern world. I'm sure the opera-loving lads of Sydney will be out marking the anniversary with an extra-spirited encore of Gas the Jews. 
uh, as they were doing uh, the other night. I think that's the beloved aria from La Gaziata. Uh, breaking news, sort of breaking-ish. Uh, we had a debate on excess deaths uh, done by our friend Andrew Bridgen uh, in the House of Commons at the Palace of Westminster. And as usual, it was very poorly attended and very poorly covered, even though that's about as basic a news item as you can get. There's a lot more extra corpses than there used to be, and nobody's interested in the subject. Uh, The kind of subject they are interested in (laughs) is all over the cable networks today uh, because another Trump lawyer cut a deal. Uh, Kenneth Cheesy bro, is is that how you say it? He's decided to plead guilty and uh, sing like a canary, uh, as Sidney Powell did yesterday. Uh, Sidney Powell, the one who was going to release the Kraken, (laughs) has decided instead to release all she knows about Trump and uh, and, uh, do a deal in order to avoid going to prison. I am uh, not in terrific shape, but um, nevertheless, we must go on. As you know, but most of your neighbors don't, the entirety of Western civilization is sliding off the cliff. It's one thing to have a total civilizational collapse, but to have a total civilizational collapse, even as Uh, 60% of the people concerned aren't even aware of it is kind of unusual. Um, But recent events uh, have been relevant in as much as they expose the total bollocks of the post-9-11 security state, which uh, I oppose the creation of the Department of Homeland Security uh, 20-whatever years ago. And uh, I've generally been proved right. Uh, We had an example of the total bollocks a week or so back with the case of the Air Canada pilot, Mostafa Ezo, uh, who is a Hamas supporter. His Instagram posts include, F Israel, burn in hell. And as I remarked at Stein Online, the case of Mr. Ezo is the perfect summation of the post 9-11 world. You, yes, you, little harmless old 87-year-old granny with the leg caliper, you have to get to the airport as in advance, shuffle through quote-unquote security, semi-disrobe, have your medicines and toiletries examined, unpack all your electronic devices so you can be delivered onto a plane flown by a Hamas fan. Here's another perfect symbol of the post-9-11 world, Nuja Ali is a lady who likes to keep it lively on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. She reacted to the Hamas attacks of October 7th by posting the slogan Free Palestine, accompanied by images of Hamas operatives paragliding into Israel in order to slaughter all the women and children. F Israel. Uh, said she, uh, sharing the preferred slogan of Mostafa Esso. Well, well, who's Nuja Ali? Well, she used to be a spokeslady for the PLO. That would be the Palestine Liberation Organization. Then she left the PLO and got a job with the United States Department of Homeland Security as an asylum officer, where her duties include vetting applicants Uh, for U.S. immigration uh, 
uh, to make sure they're not security threats. Oh, interesting. Would you like to know the kind of uh, people she's been letting into the country? So here, too, is another perfect symbol of the post 9-11 24-7 security straight. Uh, Americans have to shuffle like a big ovine herd through the pens of the airport security line while a Hamas cheerleader gets to determine who is admitted to your country. Boy, that is some homeland security you got there. But go ahead, carry on waving that uh, constitution at me. it was very interesting when I returned to the country. The immigration officer wanted to know, in his words, what brought me to France. <laughs> you know, as if it's it's evidently weird to him to be returning from France. But if you were to be returning from Sudan, if you were to be returning from Gaza, if you were to be returning from Afghanistan, that's all perfectly fine because Nuja Ali, the... PLO. I wonder how many other PLO alumni are working for the Department of Homeland Security. It is a uh, it's a sick state of affairs. It's not really funny uh, because it's completely stupid. It's completely stupid. The 24-7 security state is to monitor you, not Nuja Ali or Mustafa Esso. Uh, Keith Farrell says, uh, by the way, I I don't know whether I've explained how this works. Anyone of the 7 billion plus people around the planet is free to listen to the show. If you want to ask a question, you have to be a member of the Mark Stein Club. If no question arises in your gullet, then feel free not to join. Uh, We seek no unwilling members. But if you do want to join in the next hour or so, we'll try to hustle your question to the front of the line. Keith Farrell says, the first question has to be, how are you? I trust your gender has survived your transatlantic crossing. I'm way beyond gender now. How many genders are there on Facebook? Is it, what is it? It was 57, but I think it's up to 72 now. I don't think... I don't think actually I'm in the mood for any of them the way I feel right now. Keith says, does Ofcom's anti-Semitic internet guru prove how inept that organization is? You, For non-Britons, uh, this is the UK state censor that I'm suing in the High Court of England, King's Bench Division, um, over what they said about... Uh, my shows, their rulings against me, so-called, over my shows on uh, the COVID vaccines and the victims of those vaccines. Uh, What they did was actually unlawful under the powers they've been given. They've been given too many powers, but nevertheless, they exceeded them in my case. And I'm looking forward to that case if I live long enough. But the... um, Anti- the, the, the unconservative conservative government, which has betrayed its voters, that's why you can't vote your way out of this thing, because too many so-called conservative parties are like the Conservative Party of the United Kingdom and are complete frauds. So they gave uh, Ofcom control over the Internet. And as we've reported, according to certain British newspapers, they're not happy with Rumble at the moment because Rumble carries the Russell Brand show. Uh, So it's uh, being mooted in the press that upon landing any uh, the the 
fellow who runs Rumble uh, and, and started it is my fellow Torontonian. He's a Canadian, and if he happens to land at Heathrow, uh, he's afoul of Ofcom and he'll be arrested, apparently. Um, <laughs> so it was interesting. Uh, they put an anti-Semite, a Jew hater, uh, as, as uh, emerged from her social media, on in charge of the internet. She's a Zimbabwean feminist anti-colonialist, and she's the director of online safety. This is the point here. This is the point that Keith is... When Keith says that organization is apt, uh, it's not inept. It knows exactly what it's doing. These are hardcore radical institutions. Um, they, If you had just been given control of the internet and you wanted to show that you were going to try and do impartial justice in your control of the internet, you would not give a radical, feminist, Zimbabwean, anti-colonialist the powers of chief of police over the internet. These are radical institutions. You know, some of you boomer rocker types, you're always mocking me for playing the easy listening music. Uh, one of the reasons I play the easy listening music is because, um, you know, I'm a, a, a man of uh, a temperament and moderation. Uh, and it's it's the other fellas who are the crazies, like uh, at Ofcom. And uh, I'm a calm, reasonable, moderate, middle-of-the-road kind of guy. But to my left, we have the crazies of Ofcom. And to my right, we have a lot of phonies. As I said, the guys who play the butch bumper music and then do the easy listening wankery uh, in between the butch bumper music. Um, But the, the point to remember is how captured these institutions are. Um, I'm very worried about the judiciary. The, the whole point about the judiciary was that it was unchanged over the centuries so that you always had those, you, you know, uh, when the defense lawyer said, oh, my client, uh, my client was at home, my lord, uh, listening to a Beatles LP. And uh, and the uh, judge would say, well, what are these Beatles to whom you refer? The point was that he was out of it because he was he wasn't a modish twerp who grooving who was grooving away to the Beatles. He was applying timeless legal principles of which such passing fancies as the Beatles are neither here nor there. And so judges would update that. Joke. Oh, what is this Elton John to whom the witness refers? What is this George Michael to whom the witness refers? What is this Billy Vanilli to whom the witness refers? And now they have become the modish twerps, the judiciary. They are the Milly Vanilli. Almost all institutions in our society, the fusty ones, the cobwebbed ones, uh, have now uh, become captured by modish radical twerps. Uh, Kelly Harbison says, Mark, glad to hear that you are doing so well. I'm not. You you need to be listening with your Dolby speakers cranked up. (laughs) You can hear that. Especially, says Kelly, with the ongoing insults to your mind and body. Re-man versus Stein. If the court ever rules in your favor, do you expect to see a dime from a deadbeat like Michael E. Mann? Well, you know, he, uh, his lawyer, 
Roger McConkey, whom I happen to know because uh, we had some doings during uh, the Canadian Islamic Congress free speech battles 15 years ago. Roger McConkey, uh, the, the judge in British Columbia in the Tim Ball case, poor Tim Ball, he finally wins his case against the deadbeat man and uh, his lawyer applies for costs, as they say in the uh, Commonwealth. And the justice uh, on the Supreme Court of uh, British Columbia said costs follow the event, which means that, uh, i.e., if you lose the case, you pay the other guy's costs. And Roger McConkey, Mann's lawyer, agreed to that. And Michael E. Mann has Timball is dead now. And he had to have a crowd-funded funeral because that sick bastard Michael E. Mann did not pay him a dime. Uh, that's the way Michael E. Mann rolls. Uh, Tony Allwright writes from Dublin. Uh, <laughs> uh, I spent many of my early yeah, well, not many of the years, but my parts of my early years were spent uh, just south of Dublin at Greystones, and I have very happy some of my earliest childhood memories. My memory of my first Christmas was at Greystones in Ireland, so I think of it fondly, except that I can't believe what's happened to the bloody place since then. Uh, Tony Allwright says, Hey, Mark, glad to hear you're well enough to host yet another Q&A spectacular. Here's some good news to cheer you up. It is about the large number of mysterious excess deaths since the end of the COVID epidemic. 10 to 15 percent in many places, a little higher than that, actually, in some places, Tony, getting up around 20 percent. Uh, even though after the last global epidemic, the 1918 Spanish flu that killed more people than World War I, deaths went not up but down because so many people who should have died in 1919 and 1920 were already dead of the Spanish flu. Tony's making actually a very important point here. It's one we've made on our show that after a supposed pandemic, uh, your mortality rate goes down because, for example, with the COVID, uh, the COVID supposedly killed all these people in 2020 who would otherwise have died in 2022 or 2023. So it's a normal effect of a pandemic that you, you have a big spike in deaths when the weird disease uh, sweeps in and kills everybody, and then your mortality rate is lower in the years that follow uh, because Auntie Mabel, who should have lived till 93, instead was taken out by the killer disease before her time. That's not what's happened here. Uh, we have excess deaths non-COVID deaths after the pandemic. And, and that's a, a, like so many aspects of the modern world. That is rather strange. Uh, Tony Allwright continues, the only thing we all know with certainty about today's post-COVID excess deaths is that they have absolutely nothing to do with the COVID vaccines. Yeah, don't even think about it or we'll get you kicked off your social media. But Ireland's intrepid Department of Health has now finally cracked the enigma. Uh, the Department of Health tweets that it is engaging with the OECD 
to monitor excess mortality as an indicator of the impact of climate change. So climate change is causing all the excess deaths. Uh, is there nothing that climate change cannot do, points out Tony Allwright. I'm sure all those excess dead in Wales will be interested to hear that, in fact, it was climate change that took them out. You know, to die this stupidly, I said at the beginning, our entire civilization is sliding off a cliff. But to die this stupidly is truly, oh, we must follow the science. Follow the science. Follow the science. That's man's argument. Whenever it is in 10 days' time, I'm going to be listening to day after day after day of that drivel uh, from uh, the plaintiff. Um, here we have Here we have a situation where we have unexplained excess deaths starting around late 2021. Mm, I wonder, what uh, did anything uh, particular happen in late 2021? And we're told that suddenly the climate change, it had been lying there fairly dormant, wasn't really killing too many people. Uh, and then it just comes out of nowhere and it starts killing thousands of people every week. Nobody saw it coming, except Michael Mann does. The world will thank him as its saviour. David Kelly Wood writes, Mark, apparently you were able to make it back to the States just under the wire of the State Department's worldwide caution travel alert. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Nowhere's safe except where you are, so just stay there forever. Shelter in place indefinitely for the next third of a century, half it. We'll let you know when it's safe to come out. What do you think, says David? A, it's legitimate and warranted, or B, there's more to it than meets the eye, such as they're setting the table for all kinds of bad stuff they have planned for the lead up to the elections next November. By the way, I think you may have been too critical of the staging in that leader of the free world photograph. This is the picture we posted of Joe Biden with his national security team in the, whatever they call it, the situation room in the White House. He's there, you know, the leader of the free world. He's, uh, they're trying to explain to him that, you know, now we got two wars. We got this Ukraine war. That's still going. We've got this Middle East one. And, you know, he's, uh, and, and so they're trying to prep him so he doesn't wander out and hail Zelensky as the best prime minister Israel's ever had. By the way, he's come close uh, twice in the last few days. He said uh, that he uh, met with Golda Meir <laughs> in the run-up. This is fantastic, actually. Whoever's, uh, you know, the writers for Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel and all that crowd are absolute crap. But whoever's writing for Joe Biden, this is almost as good as his thing in Ireland about the guy who played rugby for the Black and Tans. Um the uh, he said he said twice in the uh, last couple of days that in the run up to the 1967 six day war, he met with Golda Meir, the uh, prime minister of Israel. Uh, there's uh, only a couple of problems with that. Um, the uh, Golda Meir wasn't prime minister of Israel. 
just before the Six-Day War. And uh, just before the Six-Day War, uh, Joe Biden was a law student at Syracuse University. So it's not clear why a busy uh, prime minister who, who would have any occasion to meet with a law student and a very undistinguished law student from from Syracuse University in uh, in, uh, in in New York State, so <laughs> they don't want any of that. It's good that uh, actually I do believe while he was still in kindergarten, uh, he met with uh, David Ben Gurion uh, and said this whole Jewish state idea. You might want to rethink that, David. Um, anyway, he's uh, he's going back further in time than I do. Um, and so they're trying to keep him kind of uh, keep him all together about that. So um, he's uh, uh, so they have him in the situation room and the nameplates, as we showed on the photograph, instead of being in front of the person, are all turned sideways. So that, for example, just to his right, there's this uh, black lady who feels seems vaguely familiar but he can't quite recall the name. And so there's a sign facing him that says Kamala Harris. So just in case he, he forgets all the names, it's tremendously reassuring. Um, as to the question about the worldwide <laughs> caution, <laughs> um, <laughs> I tell you, I just spent a couple of days in the District of Columbia, and that looks way scarier than many parts of the world. So if, if you're in the District of Columbia and you're thinking you're taking a cab to Dulles and, uh, and flying out to some no-name stand in Central Asia, go for it. Um, but uh, I think it's actually big. This worldwide caution thing, I was thinking about this because, you know, I... Uh, I was on the Mark Stein cruise, and then I was holed up in Trieste, and then I took the train to Milan, and then I took a rather lovely train over into France. But I've been think I was I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking that the whole of mass travel is coming to an end. Uh, they've done it for the reason of climate change, but the but the idea, which is again, your neighbours accept this. You know, they basically the idea is that, oh, yes, uh, but uh, Justin Trudeau and John Kerry and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, because they're busy, important people trying to save the planet, they need to fly around on private planes. And because of that, uh, you just can't go anywhere. And that's what they're doing. They're making ordinary mass travel, you know, which again is a moment. They used to call it in the 19th century the Grand Tour because you had to be, you know, the uh, second son of a Viscount or whatever to start going and swanning around all over Europe. And then the age of mass travel came and uh, entire states uh, were basically founded uh, upon that. Uh, things like theme parks exist, you know, they don't build Disneyland because they want the people within 15 minutes to be able to come to it. They do it because they want the world to be able to come to it. And that's all, that's what's coming to an end. And it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, this idea of the worldwide travel caution. Well, what the hell is that about? The main reason for a worldwide travel caution is because 
none of the uh, transportation operators have ever really recovered from uh, the, the COVID lockdown. Uh, Alison Castellina says, which one of those people sitting around the table do you think is the real president? I don't think the real president is actually in that room. I think the whole thing is, as I said, third-rate dinner theater. You know, we're supposed to live under... I, I don't like the various terms. If you say democracy in in uh, in America... Um, then uh, all these constitution waves, we're not a democracy, we're a constitutional republic. Well, no, very few places are actually a democracy. You know, Canada's a constitutional monarchy, not a republic. It's a stupid point to make, as I always say, and it doesn't matter because whatever you are, you're going over the bloody cliff anyway. So the, 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 the point here is that it's responsible government, I prefer that phrase, responsible to the people in some form, direct or indirect. In the case of America, it's indirect because it's through uh, elected representatives and an electoral college. But the point is they are still meant to be citizen representatives. And the fact of the matter is that Joe Biden is a fraud. He, that's the reason they picked him. Trump actually whatever you think of him, is what the system is supposed to be. He decided everything's gone to crap and that he, therefore, as someone who was in uh, construction and uh, real estate and show business, was then going to run against all the crap. And so he was a guy who was all candidate and no entourage. And that's why the consultant industrial class and all the establishment hate him. And so they put up against him the precise opposite, a guy who is no candidate and all entourage, Joe Biden. He's absolutely dead. He's, they just wiggle him around. They Some of the things he remembers, oh, we're putting you on the plane. To, oh, great. Where are we flying to today? The ice cream department uh, parlor in Falls Church, Virginia? No, no, no. It's, it's uh, a country called Israel. Oh, Israel. Didn't I visit that just a few weeks ago? No, that was Ireland. They both begin with I. That's very good, Mr. President. But, but Ireland is, is where they play rugby uh, uh, against the black and tans. And uh, is, Israel, they only play rugby uh, against Hezbollah and Hamas. Uh, can you keep them straight now just you know for another hour or two we'll be landing in about 10 minutes and it's worked well enough that you're never going to get whoever else if if joe biden were to fall down dead tomorrow well they'd prop him up for at least three five weeks whatever they could get away with but whoever comes after this system has worked so well for them uh, that they're not going to give it up. They're not going to give it up. They have no reason to give it up because it's worked. It's perfect. You have a simulacrum of a chief executive. Uh, and uh, I don't believe it's anybody in that room. People think it's Obama. You know, the, the thing is, it, we've reached the stage where it could actually be Chairman Xi in Peking who's running things. You know, you, nobody knows. Uh, you look at the uh, emails leaked from Hunter Biden's laptop, 
They're the ones that are out in the public, the 10% for the big guy. You think of the texts and emails that Chairman Xi is sitting on. Uh, let us pause for a brief musical diversion. This one uh, comes courtesy of Dr. Majd Abarabia. Dr. Abarabia lives in Michigan. And she's the medical director of the Karen Wilson Smith Bar Comprehensive Center for Breast Care at Beaumont Hospital. Fine looking woman. Fine looking woman. I would certainly be taken by her if I were to find her on the adjoining bar stool. But as Lawrence Fox attempted to distinguish on TV the other day, uh, she, like the uh, object of his non-affection, is perhaps uh, not so attractive underneath. Uh, Dr. Abu Rabia uh, woke up on October 7th to news of the Hamas attack on Israel and the rising corpse count and immediately went to her social media and posted, Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day accompanied by a poster of the Broadway show Oklahoma. As you'll know, if you've read my uh, book, Broadway Babies Say Goodnight, which, which you should read, actually. It's probably uh, the book of mine that will last the longest. Um, but as you'll know, if you've read that book, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning is the opening number of Oklahoma. So we have here an interesting case study. Uh, a woman from an entirely different culture who is so assimilated, she knows the great landmark American musical Oklahoma, music by Richard Rodgers, a Jew, words by Oscar Hammerstein II, raised Christian but the son of a Jewish father. Uh, Dr. Abu Rabia is so assimilated, she knows the lyric of a great American song and then applies it to the wholesale slaughter of Jewish women and children. Remarkable. If you're seeking breast cancer treatment in Michigan, you might want to go elsewhere because you don't want to wind up with whatever beats in her breast. Anyway, I was uh, struck by the contradictions of a Jew hater singing a Jew song, and then I was saddened by them um, because it seemed to me that in quoting Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, such an American song from such an American show, uh, the Dr. Abu Rabia had somehow tainted it. So as a palate cleanser, here is a great American singer, Lou Rolls, half a century ago, 1971, I think. It's not all Rodgers and Hammerstein. Lou throws in a homily of his own halfway through, and it's rather pertinent. There's a bright golden haze on the meadow There's a bright golden haze on the meadow And the corn is as high as an elephant's eye And it looks like it's climbing clear up to the sky Oh what a beautiful morning Oh, oh, oh What a beautiful day I, I, I got a 
got a beautiful feeling that everything is going my way. All the cattle are standing like statues. All of the cattle are standing just like statues. They don't turn their heads as they see me ride by. But a little brown cow is winking her eye, talking about oh oh oh. What a beautiful morning! Oh oh oh. What a beautiful day! Got such a beautiful feeling that everything is going my way. You know, there once was a time that we could sing such a song, and it would be very truthful. But now, in this day and age, there's no longer a song like this to be sung. For things are no more like that. There once was a time you'd be happy to get up in the morning to see a brand new day and breathe that fresh air and see that bright sun shining down on you. Get you a glass of fresh, clear water. But all that's gone now because man's inhumanity to man has changed all that, and we have lost sight on the fact that God is the source of our needs. Once we return to that thought, we will find out that things will be better for us, you know. Then we'll be able to sing this kind of song once again, and we'll say, "All of the sounds of the earth are just like music. All of the sounds of the earth are just like music. And the breeze will be so busy that it won't miss a tree." And that old wheat thing will always be laughing at me, talking about oh, 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 what a beautiful morning, oh, 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 what a beautiful day. I, I've got such a beautiful feeling. Talking about everything is going my way. Hey. Oh, oh, oh. Uh. oh, 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 what a beautiful day. Lou Rolls sings Rogers and Hammerstein from Oklahoma for Dr. Majd. Abu Arabia of the Cameron Wilson Smith Comprehensive Center for Breast Care at Beaumont Hospital in Michigan, and for all the other Jew haters America has imported. I think that uh, that's uh, uh, what she, what Dr. Abu Arabia was doing was what they call uh, cultural appropriation. The Hamas guys are incapable 
of coming up with uh, any contribution to the arts, but they do know how to steal the Jew stuff when it suits them. Uh, you know, I love Lou Rolls. A uh, fabulous singer, fabulous singer, but I can never forget the late Kenny Everett of Capital Radio in London. This is a joke strictly for Britannic listeners. Uh, Kenny Everett playing Lou's big hit, You'll Never Find Another Love Like Mine, and then saying off the back of it, Lou Rolls. That's a bit like being called Bog Paper. Uh, Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A live around the planet. It is 21 to 9 British summertime, a little behind, a lot ahead, according to where you chance to be on this turbulent earth. Uh, There's a serious point to all this, right? When you've got people working for America's enemies uh, in the cockpit of Air Canada planes... Uh, in the Department of Homeland Security, or even in some breast cancer hospital in Michigan, it's telling you, or at Ofcom in the United Kingdom, uh, I mentioned this just in passing the other day, Michael Grade is a hack, ending his days, you know, uh, serving as chief censor in the United Kingdom. But he comes from a great... Uh, showbiz family. His dad, Leslie, was a showbiz agent who promoted Danny Kay, Bob Hope, all the big stars uh, when they uh, flew over to Europe. His uncle, uh, Lou Grade, is the guy who gave us TV series like The Saint and The Muppet Show. Everyone thinks The Muppet Show is quintessential. The Muppet Show is good. Sesame Street is rubbish. Sesame Street is PBS. And The Muppet Show uh, was filmed in England by uh, Lou Grade's company. And then uh, who's the other one? Oh, yeah, his other uncle, Bernard Delfont, who... uh, produced all those royal variety shows at the London Palladium, uh, brought Frank Sinatra and Judy Garn to the talk. And by comparison, Michael Grade is a hack and a nothing. But his grandparents fled pogroms in Ukraine to make it to Britain. Their children are so successful the two, two of them wind up as members of the House of Lords. And then the third generation, Michael Grade, throws it all down the toilet by supporting the ascendancy of people who hate his people, even as much as those guys back in Ukraine did. What I, you know, immigration, the demographic transformation of the United States uh, Britain and its lion cubs in Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and continental Europe, Western Europe. The demographic transformation is the biggest issue of the time. And if you don't get that after your compatriots, quote unquote, on the street this last uh, couple of weeks, then you're nuts and you deserve to go off the cliff with your dying civilization. Not sure the rest of us um, go uh, deserve to go over uh, the cliff with, with you, though. Um, uh, Chris Davis says, Mark, I hope the week has not been too tedious with your hockey stick pre-jousting with Mr. Man on the other team. Fascinating as it was to see the mainstream broadcast media pile on against Israel, 
over the hospital missile that was fired from within Gaza. Yeah, these are the same people. That, well, we don't actually know. It's, it's incorrect to say they beheaded 40 babies. It might only have been 12 that they beheaded. These are the ones who, on being informed that Israel has killed the incredibly round number of 500 people, now that's some smart missile you got there. Um, they uh, immediately just report that as fact. But Chris Davis says, my question is about yesterday's war. What's your take on the almost invisible reporting of the Russia-Ukraine war since the Hamas invasion of Israel? Of course, Biden has asked for more money to support Ukraine. Absolutely nothing to do with 10% for the big guy. Love him or loathe him, Putin appears to be controlling the geopolitical narrative at the moment. And his axis with Iran and its proxies is creating the perfect conditions for further Assad-style atrocities to be unleashed in the coming weeks, I fear. What say you? Keep well, Mark. Well... The summer offensive in Ukraine has failed. Just just to be clear on this, because we have a lot of back and forth on this in our comments, I am not in the least bit interested in getting America involved in what's going on in, uh, in Israel. Um, because... Uh, we, we we talked immediately in the in the wake of what happened that it had been a massive Israeli intelligence failure, but uh, it it was also a U.S. Uh, intelligence failure. Uh, Israel a couple of couple of years back, uh, Israel used to be part of what they called I think the European Command of the. U.S. armed forces, um, and it was transferred to a so-called CENTCOM, Central Command, based out of uh, Qatar. That's where the forward uh, headquarters is. And uh, Israel weren't happy about being transferred out of European Command because they like being treated as, you know, relatively normal nations such as Portugal or Belgium. So they were a bit unhappy about that. But the deal was that uh, U.S. military intelligence uh, would, uh, would be on the lookout for them, and, and so it was better to have them near the scene in Qatar at CENTCOM. Now, you think about all the Hamas people <laughs> working for the Department of Homeland Security. You know, that's the thing. If the Oh, and what was your previous job? Oh, I was I was working for the PLO. Oh, excellent. That's just the sort of experience we're looking for. Uh, we'll put you in charge of asylum applications. You know, you have to think that something has gone very flabby. Uh, U.S. military intelligence has the best equipment in the world, except possibly from the Chinese, and yet they too failed on October the 7th. Uh, so I, I don't want, I don't want America having any involvement, either direct as in Afghanistan or indirect as in Ukraine, in what uh, is going on between Israel and Gaza. For a very simple reason, because you'll lose. Because America hasn't won anything this millennium. As I say, the whole, well, it hasn't won anything 
since uh, almost within living memory, we're going back to 1945 for an unambiguous victory. And I'm just astonished. At, you can't be responsible for 40% of the world's military spending and do this badly. And again, I always say, I'm not saying anything about the poor bloody infantry who have to be out there in Helmand province or Fallujah when it all goes tits up. You know, I'm talking about the worst uh, general staff on the bloody planet. Uh, Mark Milley, this this is a couple of weeks ago, happened to notice it, didn't see a lot of American news, wasn't looking out for a lot of American news, was trying to stay non-sick. And uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Thoroughly Modern Milley, was giving uh, an interview to the BBC and he was asked about the Ukrainian uh, summer offensive and he was told and he replied that they only had a, a, a couple of weeks left to pursue uh, their offensive before, uh, quote, the autumn rains set in. This is the Ukrainian equivalent of the brutal Afghan winter, apparently. And the Ukrainian officials were scoffed, were scoffing at him for knowing nothing about the bloody country. He's buggered up. We're not Africa with a rainy season, uh, scoffed Lieutenant General Kirillo Budanov, chief of Ukraine's defense intelligence, uh, speaking at the Yalta European Strategy Conference in Kiev. We're not Africa with a rainy season. That's true. I've been in Ukraine in the fall. It's not like Vermont. <laughs> But the idea that there's a rainy season, as in Africa, there's a monsoon season, as on the Indian subcontinent, is completely stupid, even for thoroughly modern Millie. So you're getting mixed up with people who can't win nothing and people who don't know nothing, except that they make, can make a bleep load of money out of some distant war. Uh, and uh, in, secure in the knowledge that they will never be among the dead. The dead and injured uh, now, uh, well, you know, uh, where did I see this? It's up around half a million now. 10% for the big guy. That's nice for him. He can, he can buy another beach house. Uh, but it's not clear what uh, the Ukrainians are getting out of this, are getting out of being the, the proxy for America's provocation of Russia. I think Zelensky's celebrity, Zelensky must be furious. You know, when what happened in Israel happened, he was like on the, he was the first on the phone to Netanyahu. And, you know, he hasn't been heard of since, you know, for, for, for a year and a half. We've had all this. Oh, look, Zelensky is doing a Zoom call to the Icelandic parliament. Let's see what he has to say. Oh, now he's doing a Zoom call to the parliament of uh, Tuvalu. Let's hear what he has to say. Oh, now he's doing it. And suddenly Zelensky is nowhere to be found. I don't want... You know, just to be clear, I'm not Lindsey Graham. I don't want American boots on the ground in Israel or in Ukraine. I think American boots on the ground should stay home 
and stop the population of Norway, 5 million people, illegally entering the country in two years of Joe Biden's so-called quote-unquote government. I'd rather, I'd rather they did that because they don't know, because under thoroughly modern Millie, now worrying about monsoon season in Odessa, they know nothing except how to bollocks up the planet. And I'm, I don't want, I don't want, I don't want any more of that. William Strook says, Dear Mark, given the ethnic strife, do, do Mark, I just have terrible problems with, uh, with, I got, as I said, my side effects have side effects. And one of them is that I have some problems with uh, dry mouth. If you, if you won't mind me, if you, if you listening on your Dolby speakers, you might hear the clink of ice cubes. Just imagine it's like Pierre Polyev eating an apple. Uh, William Struke says, given the ethnic strife the world has seen from Yugoslavia in the 90s to some godforsaken place called Nagorno-Karabakh today, don't knock it. <laughs> uh, Nagorno-Karabakh is uh, likely to last longer than many parts of what we think of as the developed world. Why shouldn't the Israelis get on with it, as you once said, and invite the Gazans to wander Sinai for 40 years and see what it's like? Look, um, the late 1940s, after the Second World War, was the great age of population displacements. Uh, you, actually, I made that point when I was in Ukraine. The, the part of Ukraine I was in used to be full of Germans. Uh, and there were no Germans there any because it was part of the Habsburg Empire. And there were no Germans in Western Ukraine anymore. Because at the end, when the dust had settled after the Second World War, people thought, you know, uh, it's maybe more trouble than it's worth. I've got nothing against you, Hans. Uh, you're a charming fellow, Fritz. But it's a little bit more trouble than it's worth having you chaps around. And so they all moved on. Likewise, you had huge population displacements uh, caused by the creation of the Dominion of India and the Dominion of Pakistan out of British India in 1947. You had huge population displacements for Jews uh, in the uh, immediate wake of the creation of the State of Israel. The, I've been to the, and I've written about it, the Jewish cemeteries in North Africa, all abandoned, deserted. Uh, I was in the one in Tangiers, and they were f f flying there, were, there was a guy who had his chickens wandering around. All the gravestones are smashed. You can make out the names, Cohen and whatever. Um, and uh, some uh, washerwoman had her washing strung out uh, uh, all along the long underwear of uh, the uh, Moroccan men all dangling all over the broken gravestones. You can find cemeteries, Jewish cemeteries like that, all over North Africa, all over Arabia, uh, in what was, for example, the second biggest Jewish city uh, of its day, Baghdad. No Jews there now. And, um, and so it was about, uh, I think, three quarters of a million Jews displaced, something like that, maybe a little more. And that's exactly the same number as were left in mandatory Palestine 
uh, after the British withdrawal and the proclamation of the state of Israel. And sometimes, you know, when you look at the map of Europe and you look at the Indian subcontinent, you know, sometimes you have to have population transfers. Uh, William... uh, uh, David Goldman, not William Goldman, he's a screenwriter, but um, David Goldman did a piece. The other, it was, we, this we did on the Hundred Years Ago show last year about the expulsion of Greeks who had lived for generations in Asia Minor and then the Turks insisted they be kicked out as uh, Turkey took those. Uh, Turkey didn't want to be occupying a land full of Greeks, so it kicked out the Greeks. And the world has accepted that. The world has maintained uh, Palestinians in this artificial... This is the only refugee status that you can pass on to generations yet unborn. Uh, Oh, I'm a refugee. I come from a long line of refugees. I'm the sixth um, uh, refugee in my... My great-great-great-great-grandfather was a refugee. It's, it's, It's complete crap. And the only reason it exists is because Palestinian, which was an identity invented. They're Arabs. They're no different from other Arabs, except that the other Arabs don't want anything to do with them. Uh, And again, I get a little cranky because I've been saying the same thing. It's one of the reasons I'm dying as a crashing bore for over 20 years. I said in uh, either the Spectator or the National Post of Canada in 2002, uh, that it was easy. I might, actually, I remember the line. Uh, so I believe it was in the National Post of Canada, 2002, that it is easier for an Arab in, the, in Gaza or the West Bank to move to Toronto and become a subject of Her Majesty the Queen than it is for him to move to Riyadh and become a subject of uh, whoever it was at that time, King Abdullah of Saudi Arabia. And it is still the case. It is still the case. This People, oh, the Jews don't belong here. They're European. They should be in Eastern Europe or whatever. You know, if you, funnily enough, if you read uh, scripture, if you read history, there's Jews in the Middle East thousands of years ago. And uh, now we're told, oh, no, no, the Arabs need all this space. And the Jews and the 800,000, which is now a bazillion, because half the population of Gaza is under the age of 18, um, uh, except we need all this other space. And all the Jews and the Arabs from Gaza and the West Bank, need to be penned up in this tiny little space here. That's the reason, you know, ask ask the king of Saudi Arabia, ask MBS why it is he, he doesn't want his fellow Arabs. You go all over the world, you meet charming, delightful, urbane, civilized Uh, persons uh, from Palestine who are working as uh, doctors, heart surgeons in in London, or they're working as lawyers in Paris, or they're doing this, that, and the other all over the world. And the only people left there are the uh, irredeemable 
uh, people who are packed, who are, have been in the care of the global community, the UN, they're the only people with a, a refugee agent. You know, imagine if 80 years after the partition of India, 80 years after the, the, the Germans in Eastern Europe were all booted westward, if we still had UN agencies dedicated to administering the German refugees in Europe and the uh, Hindu-Muslim population displacements in India. You, could ima- you can imagine the crap holes that Central Europe and the Indian subcontinent would be. That's the reason this thing goes on. And just on the larger point, William, when you say, why shouldn't the Israelis get on with it? There's people who are allowed to get on with it, and there are people who are not. You know, uh, that's, that's, that's the thing. It would, be, it would be wholly improper for little boats of pasty-faced Englishmen and Welshmen to wash up on the floors uh, on the shores of Ghana every night and start turning uh, Ghana semi-white but it's perfectly okay for half the population of Albania uh, to wash up on the shores of southern England uh, not everybody is subject to the uh, to the same rules uh, that's that's how uh, that's how that goes. Um, can I? Let's see if we can have. Uh, I've, I've tuckered myself out <laughs> from uh, tuckered uh, myself out from that uh, conversation. Well, we, let's see what we can have for that. Oh, Bill Bradshaw. Oh no, I'll take. I'll take it. I'll do a couple more. This is uh, Bill Bradshaw. Uh, Mark, I had the good fortune to go to the Netherlands this past summer, and it occurred to me that this once world power has a decent standard of living and quality of life. Could the U.S. end up in a similar place after our pending demise? Uh, well, my dear friend Ava Velardinger broke. She's she's a uh, she's a superb and confident uh, person. And uh, she's going to be a huge star in the years ahead. And I uh, have been privileged in my twilight to bring you some of these stars of tomorrow. And Ava is certainly one of them. Um, uh, but she would, Ava would beg to differ with you on a lot of that, Bill, um, in, as the Netherlands goes. But I take your general point because if you're looking at America being over as a world power, which, you know, people are. And then you go and you uh, visit the Netherlands or you have a cup of coffee and a piece of strudel at the Café Sacker in Vienna. Actually, if you're at the Café Sacker, you should probably have Sacker Torte. And um, uh, or you're in a similar uh, establishment in Lisbon or in Paris, you might think if this is decline, bring it on. See, I wrote this in After America, which is uh, over a decade ago now. Decline seems incredibly enjoyable. You have all the benefits of greatness. You uh, still have your great symphony orchestras and opera houses, uh, but it's much easier to get a parking space now. And uh, and so decline seems uh, very agreeable. That's a particular form of decline when America... After 
the Second World War, that the America's 1950 moment when it emerged as the global superpower um, and it opted not to uh, express its dominance uh, as previous superpowers had done in an imperial form by going and setting up colonies and protectorates around the planet, but it chose to operate instead through uh, things like the United Nations. It set up bodies like the World Health Organization and so forth. So all the bodies it set up are now explicitly anti-American, but it didn't seem so in 1950 uh, uh, when Americans were the prototype globalists, as it were. They choose to set up globalist bodies uh, to operate the global peace. Nothing like that is happening now. This isn't like you mentioned the Netherlands. It's nothing like uh, the Dutch, the Portuguese, the Spanish, the French, uh, the British, where you're, uh, you have great power rivalry between uh, relatively compatible powers who all, by and large, take the same view of, him, uh, of, of certain questions. Here where an, a civilization is coming to an end and the one that succeeds us, the American Chamber of Commerce chose to transfer the entirety of American manufacturing, first old school, you know, factories, smokestacks type manufacturing, and then all the new stuff, the computer chip stuff, to a totalitarian state. So they enabled China to come up with the only economically viable form of communism that anyone has ever found. And because uh, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce made uh, Chinese communism uh, economically viable, they've no reason to give it up. So I, I don't know. Do they still say all that rubbish about, oh, you know, uh, capitalism will warm them up to uh, our sense of democracy and liberty? Do they, do they even bother with that now? No. We're getting more Chinese. We're getting social credit systems. We've got Chinese ideas of, oh, disinformation, comrade. So it's not going to be. This is, uh, God love you, Bill. You seem like a nice fella, but I wrote it in 2011. You know, the American decline isn't going to be like Austrian decline post-Habsburg. It isn't going to be like... Uh, Spanish decline, French decline, any kind of continental decline. This is going to, you know, you're just going to wake up one morning. This is the thing. Uh, you know, the, the old Hemingway line, how did you go bankrupt first gradually, then suddenly? You don't get a heads up about suddenly. You'll just wake up one morning and you will, oh, suddenly's happened. And I forgot to take all my money out of my checking account, and now it's completely worthless. It's going to be very subtle. Uh, Frank Gallenstein, let's make this the last question. Um, uh, oh, we got a couple of questions from <laughs> Re Sydney Powell. Uh, Elisa Angel says, do you suppose uh, Sydney Powell will refund donors? The, Sydney Powell is the... Uh, former Trump lawyer who has now done a deal. She's going to screw over Trump. She's going to screw over Rudy Giuliani in exchange for not going to jail. She'll just be on probation for six years and has to write a letter of apology to the people of Georgia. 
And Sydney Powell was the most hard, hardcore one. Um, Elise Angel says, do you suppose Sydney Powell will refund donors of her Send Money Now scheme in light of her plea agreement? That's true. She had a big website. Uh, I don't think it was actually sendmoneynow.com. I think that's uh, Kevin McCarthy's or Mitch McConnell's. Um, but uh, she had a big Send Money Now scheme. Um, and uh, I don't think she's going to be refunding anything because... That's not how it goes. Although if uh, people who gave her money want to get together and file a class action lawsuit against her, bring it on. Uh, Frank Gallenstein writes, Hi, Mark. So the keeper of the Kraken has no Kraken. Do you know Ms. Powell? If so, were you surprised she was bluffing? Or were the forces she was up against too powerful? I initially believed her. Looking forward to your insight. I don't... I've had a... On... Uh, rush... Uh, she's been a guest of mine on Rush, uh, I don't know, three or four times. And maybe I think I, I had her on a TV show or something as well, uh, maybe on Hannity or something. Um, but uh, the last time she was on, we didn't have her back. The last time she was on was a bit of a surprise to me because it was, as you know, in the uh, what's unique to America, it's uniquely peaceful, peaceful transfer of power that goes on for three months just to give all the people in the deep state uh, enough time to screw over uh, whoever they need to screw over. And so she comes on, and I mentioned Dominion, before she comes on, I'm talking about Dominion Voting Systems because it's a Canadian company. Uh, the guy who set it up, I, I think he's a friend of a friend of a friend or something of a couple of people who work in the um, Stein Online operation. Because just in that, you know, everybody in Canada knows everybody else sort of thing. And so I'm talking about it, as you can tell by the name, Dominion, right? As in Dominion of Canada, as in Toronto Dominion Bank, now operating as TD, America's Neighborhood Bank. If, you, if you're an American and you've got anything with Dominion in it, be very suspicious because it's Canadian. Anyway, so it's Dominion Voting Systems. The uh, chief electoral officer of Canada is sending out amusing tweets saying, oh, you'd be interested to know, in our national elections, we don't use any of these machines. They're strictly for export. I think some of their vote counting machines, I think there's a couple of provinces that use them. So anyway, I'm, I'm just sort of laying the ground, teeing off Dominion Voting Systems, Canadian. And uh, Sydney Powell comes on. She's well, they're not re in that fabulous voice of hers. I find it a very uh, sexy accent, that creamy southern accent. Uh, so I'm sort of uh, a bit disoriented by that, but not so disoriented that I don't notice. She said, well, it's not really Canadian. It was set up by uh, Hugo Chavez in Venezuela. And next thing you know, she's going on about Venezuelans and the Chinese and even the Spaniards and the Germans, because she claims the votes actually go to Spain and Germany to be counted. Uh, and Steve McIntyre, who will be appearing as a witness at my trial in the next, uh, that starts in just over a week. Steve McIntyre is a, an Ontario engineer and is far brainier uh, than most people on almost any subject. So he says, well, wait a minute. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is an election fraud thing. Isn't the point to show that the Democrats stole the election, not that Hugo Chavez, who's dead, Hugo Chavez, the Chinese Politburo and miscellaneous persons in Spain and Germany stole the election? And he's quite right. She actually destroyed the credibility. And Trump should have thrown her out on her ear uh, when she started doing all that, because what you need is Democrats, Democrat ward healing hacks in Philadelphia uh, and other cities in purple states doing just what they need to do to steal an election. The minute you start dragging in Hugo Chavez and the Chinese Politburo, you know it's going nowhere. I mean, what's a district court judge in Michigan supposed to do about the government of Venezuela? You know, so she did a huge amount of damage. And, and you know, life has got real for her pretty bloody fast because it's now over. And she's got the choice between spending six years in an American prison, which I would not want to do, or selling out Trump and Rudy Giuliani and whoever else she needs to sell out. And that's the way it's going to go. It's a corrupt system. Dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt uh, U.S. quote unquote justice system. I saw it in the case of my friend Conrad Black. Uh, when they managed to turn this guy and they turned that, all the big shots were the first to sell out. All the so-called independent directors, the former governor of Illinois and some former ambassador to whatever, all the guys, the trophy guys he put on his board were the first to screw him over. It's an evil system. It's an evil system, but this is their standard operating procedure, I'm afraid. Sorry I got too worked uh, up about that, but uh, as I said, uh, very sexy accent, Sydney Powell, uh, but uh, everything she's saying with it turned out to be total bollocks, and that's the way it is. little more music for you on our Clubland Q&A. As most of you will know, a clip this week from Canada went viral. Uh, I think uh, Nicola Timmerman uh, asked me a question about this, but I can't remember. I've, I've just seen it scrolling through now. Uh, oh, I'll tell you what, take one more, because who knows when I'll be back. Joy uh, Termor-Schwiesen writes, So delighted to know that it's Mark himself on Q&A. I will be listening this time. Uh, what is your take on 30,000 terrorist supporters of Hamas being allowed to run riot in the streets of Mayor Khan's London last Friday, shouting death to all Jews? These people represent a clear and present danger to the security of the UK, most especially in view of the terror attacks all over Europe this week. This happened. Six French airports evacuated after bomb threat. A synagogue in Germany was firebombed. A French teacher was stabbed and two Swedish football fans were shot dead in terror attacks. This problem is all of Europe's own making. I didn't hear about the Swedish footy fans, Joy. Uh, I know the French teacher stabbed to death on the third anniversary of the death of a previous teacher 
sent uh, shockwaves among among uh, French schools. This problem is all of Europe's own making. We in Britain of Europe have sleepwalked into disaster because we were too afraid to offend. Um, yeah, it's the biggest. This is the biggest thing. We have imported monsters monsters. You know, when I look at footage from Gaza, you don't even need to get to the Jews here. Uh, okay, I don't I don't really like Jews. They're all a bit Jewy for me. It, I, get, I get a bit Jewed out by the whole thing. Okay, forget the Jews. Forget the Jews. Team A, Team B. Team A are barbarians. Nothing good will come of you joining the side of barbarians. I don't mean the guys who paraglide into Israel and kill all the women and children. I don't even mean uh, the people who are out in the street dancing excitedly because there's a dead German tourist uh, on the back of a pickup truck who's been killed by the brave heroes of Hamas. Oh, what a great day! Look, there's a naked dead woman. Is this a great day or what? I don't even mean the six-year-old boy who's already such a hatey, hatey, hater. He's spitting on her dead body. I just mean the quiet people who go along with that are barbarians too. And I look at that and then I see uh, gas the Jews outside the Sydney Opera House and I think, you know, you know what, maybe, uh, I'm, uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't a good idea to take this sickness and spread it all over the entire developed world. And maybe the entire political class of the last half century, and maybe idiots like George W. Bush saying, oh, Islam is a religion of peace, which would be nice if it were true, but it isn't. Maybe all of these people should be held to account for wrecking the entire civilized world by importing these people. You know, French teachers... They're, they're tiptoeing on eggshells. Oh, yeah, we better not bring up the Crusades, uh, okay, and we better not bring up the Second World War because uh, that Holocaust thing doesn't go down too well. So we better not talk about this, we better not talk about that. And they get stabbed anyway, and they get beheaded anyway. It's the biggest issue of our time, and we have been completely screwed over by our leaders on it. Okay, I really am talking out now. Um, some of you will have seen the clip this week. Oh, yeah, here, Nicola Timmerman. That's what I was looking for. Not terribly. It's first time back in our proper studio in months for me. Uh, and I'm, uh, and uh, I'm finding it a bit more difficult than just doing it wherever I happened to be when I was uh, in Italy and France. Nicola says, how do you like that video that went viral? of Pierre Polyev demolishing a biased reporter. Of course, liberal supporters are saying he was rude and acted like a bully. <laughs> he didn't. He, he just turned the laziness and stupidity of the Canadian media back on them. Uh, this was for non-Canadian. Well, actually, it's gone viral, this thing. So most people over the English-speaking world know it. It was the leader of the opposition in Ottawa, Pierre Polyev, eating an apple 
while simultaneously eating a nitwit reporter for lunch. It's a lovely moment and hugely enjoyable to watch if you haven't yet seen it. And below the clip, all the commenters attempt to get into the spirit of things with, you know, an apple a day keeps the lefties away and such like. Uh, an apple for the teacher. In this case, the teacher is Monsieur Poliev, and he's teaching all of us how to do it when you're interviewed by these twits. Don't accept their premises. Don't accept their framing. It's a couple of minutes long, but it's a masterclass. Uh, so that was indeed a well-deserved apple for the leader of His Majesty's loyal opposition. Here is one of my very favorite songs on the theme, Connie Boswell and Bing Crosby. <laughs> I think I'm naive Well, let's play the game that way Yes, that's what I believe An apple for the teacher That seems the thing to do Because I want to learn about romance from you An apple for the teacher Just to show that I'm meek and mild if you insist on saying that I'm just a problem child You're going to get all my attention And your wish will be my rule And maybe you'll be good to me Just keep me after school An apple for the teacher That's how I better start Then after a while you may give in And let me bring my heart That seems a thing to do Because I want to learn about romance From you and Apple for the teacher To show I'm meek and mild If you insist on saying That I'm just a problem child You'll get all my attention Your wish will be my rule and maybe you'll be good to me and keep me after school. An apple for the teacher, that's how I'd better start. Then after a while, you may give in and let me bring my heart. An apple for the teacher is always going to do the trick. If you didn't study your arithmetic I got an apple for the teacher It's gonna meet with great success Well, it won't if you didn't memorize The Gettysburg Address I got a little bit of glamour And a charm that's cute and quaint I'm excuse your grammar and believe you were that you ain't I got an apple, big red apple for the teacher That's how I'm fixing to start Then after a while I may give in And let you bring your heart Then after a while She may give in And let you bring your heart
An all-American hit from 1939. Connie Boswell and Bing Crosby. Does it get any better than those two? Peppy Tune by Jimmy Monaco. Cute lyric by Johnny Buck. Can you still take an apple for the teacher? Dad, you'd get it past the schoolhouse security guard in case you had razor blades or anthrax in it. Sad. Stick with Sign Online this weekend, Rick McGuinness on the movie beat, and I shall have a brand new Sunday poem for you. Because, as I always say, video poetry is where the big bucks are. Stay safe, stay free, stay well, and stay tuned for our next bite of the apple. Uh, You've heard and seen on our show many times, uh, my friend... Gary Osborne, lyricist to Elton John on Baby's Got Blue Eyes and Part-Time Love and much else. Here's Gary's dad, Tony Osborne, with his orchestra, accompanying Dear Millicent Martin. Ah, the apple trees, when the world was young. Oh, the apple trees, sunlit memories where the hammocks swung on our backs we lie looking at the sky till the stars were strong just a dream ago When the world was young Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Stein Enterprises and Oak Hill Media Just a dream ago Rights Reserved.